0: Hey everybody, this is Emar Sopatouk. Welcome to another edition of the Sports Inquirer show. I know it's been a very long time uh, since we last talked and a lot has changed over the past few months. Uh, we'll get to all of those details uh, later on as we progress through the show. But it's good to hear, see y'all, hear y'all and everything in between. Uh, but as my uh, my girlfriend or my partner says, I will reintroduce myself. Once because I do say it a little fast. My name is E. Marcel Courtoot from the Sports Inquirer. Uh, But very awesome to have all of you here to listen to me or see me or a little bit of both. Uh, But yeah, but as usual, to follow us, go to our different platforms, starting with Twitter and Instagram, and it's Sports Inquirer, all one word. You can also go to our Facebook page under the Sports Inquirer, and finally, Subscribe to us on our various platforms, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcast, iTunes. Uh, I think that's all of them. Yeah, we got them all. I just look up the Sports Inquirer. I just did a quick search to make sure all of our links are working and up and going, and they actually are. So that's really, really cool, especially iTunes. I'm glad that that's a tricky link for me. So I'm glad that's up and going. All right, so what's been going on? Why have I not been on here, at least in this format or this form, in several months? It's been more than several months. I guess technically almost a year, which is accurate and inaccurate because you do see me with my Zoom interviews. You have seen. I'll go into some of those that we've done over the past few weeks. Uh, You've seen the pressers. Uh, You've seen just some different forms. But as far as the Sports Inquirer show, kind of – one-on-one individual format. It's been a while, Uh, but things are good. Uh, I have a a new job outside of the Enquirer, which has uh, treated me very well. I've been there almost two years now, approaching a year and a half. Well, two years will be in December. So that's been really good. I'm in a new location. I used to live in Ackworth. Now I live in Marietta. Uh, So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But no, it's been really good. The transition's been fun. That happens. I think I'm in month three at my new location. So that's been a very a nice development uh, for me on a personal level uh, and everything else like that. But we keep it grinding with the sports. A good part about this time of year is that we have the start of college sports and we cover a lot of fall sports, including college football. We do volleyball, sometimes cross country and, and, and things like that. We also have the end of some other seasons and start of postseason, because in about a month, we're going to have the Major League Baseball playoffs starting. We're going to have MLS rounding in the form for his postseason. So it's a good balance of everything that's going on. And also, will the launch of the NFL in literally 48 to 72 hours, depending on when you listen or watch us or this episode. So all of that combined together is a very good situation for all of us sports fans and supporters and everything of that ilk. Uh, But yeah, but this show is really just about catching up, telling y'all what's been going on, things to look out for um, as far as the site goes. We'll get into some specifics uh, about certain things, but overall, just wanted to tell you what's been going on on the site and uh, what to be on the lookout for. As I mentioned, one of the things that's starting up or has started up already is a college football season. So just recommend that you head to the site and you go there and see the pressers for head coach Sean Elliott and running back Marcus Carroll from Georgia State football. Uh, because we were there for last Thursday's contest uh, when they were able to defeat Rhode Island forty two to thirty five back and forth affair. A lot of yardage. And that's really an overall thing you're gonna see from Really, the first week or two of the college football season. Well, college football, there's a lot more points scored than the NFL. I would say, average, you know, per average, uh, per contest, but a lot of sloppy play on both sides. Because you gotta realize, with the at least with the NFL, I know we don't treat priests; they don't treat preseason like they used to. I'm not old enough to remember, but back in the olden days, at least in the 70s, I was born in '81, so I don't remember the 70s. They used to play six preseason games. Uh, But now they play four three games or four games, and a lot of players, at least the starters, some of them don't even play the preseason at all. Uh, But at least they get some reps in at some capacity and they get an extended training camp to get ready. Now, we're going to see some sloppy play in the NFL this first week or two because that's still not enough adequate preparation for a full-fledged regular season contest but it's still better than college football where these players are, they've been in camp, but they go from being in camp to a, a starting contest and offensively teams tend to be ahead of the defense. And we see that in a lot of these contests. That's why the first week or two, you see a lot of points scored, but you also see a lot of fatigue because a lot of player and they're in shape. I'm not saying they're not in shape in real life, uh, but in football shape, that's the first time they're playing full four quarters They're playing in warm conditions. I can tell you from the Georgia State contest, even when, even though it was nighttime, it was still pretty warm compared to what we're going to see over the next few months. Uh, So you're starting to see a lot of that factor in with these teams not having the stamina really to compete at the highest level that they will at the middle or the end of the season. So going back to Georgia State in that contest, I say all of that because it was a back and forth affair. Almost a thousand total yards of offense in that contest. I mean, big performances uh, from Marcus Carroll, as I mentioned, three touchdowns, career high 184, 885, excuse me, rushing yards. I don't want to shortchange Marcus. Uh, so he had a big day. Darren Granger had two touchdown passes, 193 yards passing uh, for the Panthers in the victory. Uh, yeah. So as I said, just listen to the Presser uh, from Coach Elliott and from Marcus Carroll. Coach Elliott talked about the just a back and forth affair. Uh, Defensively, some areas of improvement for the Panthers. Some solid special teams. We've seen the Panthers have really struggled with that. Had a got called for a personal foul blocking a punt, which is a little iffy. Besides, I thought the special teams were a little bit better. Uh, You had a I thought Cade Loggins did a very good job. Had an average of forty-seven point two yards. Per punt, they got one punt inside of the 20. So much improved uh, in that category. Uh, but yeah, but also worries for the Panthers defense, though. They allowed Casean uh, Hill, the uh, Rhode Island quarterback, throw for 408 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, I don't care who you're playing and what level. That's not very good defense. Uh, but obviously, they still got the victory. Uh, but those are things that are going to be, the Panthers will have to clean up as they can prepare for UConn coming into town uh, this upcoming week. Uh, I was also at the Georgia Tech contest. They faced Louisville in the Aflac kickoff game, and uh, the Yellow Jackets fell short uh, in that contest. However, we saw the debut of Yellow Jackets quarterback, Keynes uh, King, the Texas A&M transfer, had uh, three touchdown passes, more than 300 yards passing. Uh, he had a big night, uh, Trey, Trey Cooling. Had a multiple touchdown contest at running back, but still, Georgia Tech had a double digit lead at halftime. Uh, lost the lead, and uh, that's not a you don't want to start the season off like that. It was obviously well, Brett Keys. Brett Key, excuse me, uh, came into the season last year as a replacement or took over midway through last season. Uh, Jeff Collins was dismissed or uh, midway through last season. And Brent Key uh, took over, was 4-4 four and four in the final eight games last year for uh, Georgia Tech. So this technical technically – I keep saying he's a new coach, so, but technically he is not. He was an interim head coach last year. He's a full-time head coach now. Uh, so I look at it still as his debut. Uh, but he was a – but that was a – we had a presser of him as well. And you can hear the disappointment in his voice of – Anytime you blow a double-digit lead or lose a double-digit lead against any opponent, that's tough. But when it's on a Friday night, the lone national game is the kickoff game at for Aflac at the MBS, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, conference game as well. All of those factors, you lose that contest, that really does put you in a, a bad position to start the season. Season's not over. Uh, but just I know that was not a very uh, good scenario uh, for the Yellow Jackets. But head to the site, and you'll see the pressers of uh, Haynes King, Trey Cooley, and as well as the uh, Brett Key. So make sure you head to the Inquirer to check that out. As far as the rest of college football, a biggest story in the offseason was conference realignment. And it's pretty wild. I'm a traditionalist and as far as when I started – following college football and when i started following it in the i would say the late 80s early 90s it's pretty wild when you look at stalwarts of conference play like there's a generation people don't realize that miami and florida state and penn state uh, were independents and proud independents very successful independent programs uh, that one at least with notre, dame, with notre dame as well notre dame still technically an independent, even though they have a deal with the ACC as far as football goes, uh, those are programs that won national championships as independents, uh, BYU, uh, you know, things like that. Well, I know BYU was hard to whack back in the 80s. But anyway, you get what I'm saying, that it was I, – I got used to that uh, aspect. So when Penn State joined the Big Ten and Miami joined the Big East – and then ultimately, the ACC. When Florida State joined the ACC, that was pretty significant in the landscape of college football. Uh, when though that happened, those that that was a big deal. Uh, then we started seeing the realignments of the conferences. We saw Arkansas and South Carolina join the SEC, uh, which was a, a pretty significant deal in the early '90s. We started seeing teams like the the Big 8 and the Southwest Conference kind of have a merger, I would say, and form the current Big 12 that you see right now. Texas coming from the Southwest Conference, Oklahoma from the Big 8, Texas A&M, we'll get to them with the SC in a moment. But then those teams merging together form a Big 12, that was pretty significant for the Midwestern part of the country, Nebraska, coming from the Big 8 to the Big 12, you get what I'm saying. Uh, so that was pretty so – those are significant moments in the 90s when we started seeing that happening. And he took a breath and like, all right, oh, that's where uh, things are currently at in the realm of college football. Then the 2000s started to hit, and the ACC was the t- conference that really – not that it started off, but they were the next con- team, next conference to make their presence felt when you saw them make, take a bite out of the AC uh, Big East, Syracuse, Boston College, a uh, Stalwarts pit of the Big East, all of a sudden they became part of the ACC. Miami, uh, you know, becoming part of the ACC. So that was another moment of like, wow, this is pretty wild. And then within the past, you know, 10 years, 10, 13 years, SEC bringing in Missouri and Texas AM. So you start to see like little trickles of these conferences adding teams and making adjustments, and that's not even including uh, teams like like conference like the Sun Belt, uh, which within our coverage of the conference has seen uh, the addition of Marshall and uh, James Madison and teams like that into the conference. Old Dominion. Uh, you know, joining the conference within the past, you know, two, three years. So that's also a pretty significant uh, moment when you're looking at the, that's at the non-Power 5, you know, setup. So, but we're talking about the Power 5 conferences. uh, Because ultimately within the past 12 months, uh, we've seen the most seismic shifts in college football history, uh, I believe, with the conference realignment. Because even with all of these movements and all of these teams making these shifts, you saw a geographic, not benefit, but a connection. But you also saw an academic connection, a cultural connection with a lot of these teams. Now, all these teams are not the same, but you saw kind of what was going on. But now, with, and it really saw with the importance The implosion of the big, the the Pac 12, and a little bit of the not implosion, but the adjustment to the SEC. Because even with Texas, well, first of all, Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, two marquee football programs, two, someone argued, top 10 college football programs as far as revenue size. Uh, tradition, history. Those are teams that are, uh, you know, produced Heisman Trophy winners, won national championships, you know, pretty major programs. Them joining the SEC, still well, going from the Southeast to the Southwest, I guess, depending on how you look at it. That move really puts, and that's going to take place starting next year. That really puts a makes the SEC the premier conference it puts a big dent on the midwest as far as with, with the the presence of college football but the much but the biggest one to me is the big 10 and their movements and getting UCLA, USC, Oregon and Washington to join the Big Ten makes that the conference that is really made conference alignment as far as regionally defunct or done. And yes, and certainly, uh, Stanford and Cal joining, and SMU joining the ACC, that's another one as far as the definition of these conferences as far as regional is done. You know, it's over. I mean, when you have, most of the Big Ten, when you have a team in Syracuse, New York, and a team in Los Angeles, California, in the same conference, I mean, come on. You have a, same, a, a conference with, not no, it's not Syracuse, my fault. Uh, what I was going to say is uh, in Rutgers in New Jersey and Los Angeles, that's crazy. When you have a a conference with a team in College Park, Maryland, and a team in Seattle, Washington, I mean, what's going on here? Like, it's just crazy. When you have a team in in Western Pennsylvania in the same conference as a team in uh, Eugene, Oregon, I mean, it just the travel cost and I know for myself, following the Olympic sports, we do, so we cover volleyball, we do baseball, uh, you know, we cover those types of sports. The travel is going to be brutal uh, for those teams. We look at football and that's a once a week endeavor. So when you have Oregon playing at, you know, Minnesota, yeah, I mean, that's going to be, or Minnesota playing at Oregon, that's a pretty long flight. A lot, you know, it's gonna be a lot of travel, but it's it's one week it's for one one day a week. The team can fly out the day before. They'll get rest. They'll play the game and head home. What about the tennis teams? Uh, what about the the softball teams? How are those teams going to be able to handle all of that travel? And then transitioning to the ACC, uh, what about? I'm still I'm, I'm waiting for the Syracuse and Cal game. Now we're back. Now we're to Syracuse. Uh, or what about the game between Boston College and Stanford? Like, those games are going to be rough for those teams. And I know that there are no charter – well, not, even, they're not everyone charters. That's another thing. Everyone thinks, like, you see, you see the travel of the college sports teams. You look at football. Yeah, they may charter a plane because it's a big team, a lot of equipment, a lot of managers and assistant coaches. It's a pretty big number. We get that. But when you get to the level of the Olympic sports, they're traveling coach, they're traveling you have to you have to change flights. It just makes travel a lot more difficult than getting in your bus or van, maybe driving four or five hours, you know, to your game. Now you gotta have a four or five hour flight to the game. I mean, just and just for the collegiate level, you know, that's pretty wild. You know, but those that's the nature of the beast. That's what we're you know, dealing with right now. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, that's just been the biggest seismic shift that we've seen in college football or college sports, I think, in the past 40 or 50 years. And this has all happened within the last 12 months. Uh, and well, the ACC was literally less than a month ago by the time you're listening or watching this. So those are things that have been pretty wild. Um, as far as the rest of what I saw from college football this past week, Colorado won at TCU. The victory itself, I thought that Colorado would be competitive, maybe because I follow the sports a lot and follow Jackson State and what Deion Sanders was doing there. I knew the skill players would be solid. I knew that Shador Sanders, and I didn't know really throw for more than 400 yards and have all those touchdowns. I mean, that was a tremendous effort. I don't care who you're playing against. But I thought the game would be competitive. But ultimately, I thought the lines of scrimmage would not favor Colorado. And because TCU, remember last year, played a national championship game. I know they lost some talent. Uh, but still, solid line play on both ends of the ball. I thought that Colorado would wear down and ultimately lose the game in the fourth quarter with the line of scrimmage play. And you saw defensively, they gave up a... I think close to two hundred, more than two hundred rushing yards to TCU, uh, Colorado defensively. That part did not surprise me. I thought that would ultimately lead the Horn Frogs to a victory, but Colorado kept coming back. Uh, Travis Hunter, maybe because we're biased and we're in, we're based in Atlanta, Georgia, technically uh, Marietta now with our recording of the show. We're closer to Atlanta than we used to be, but still, I, Metro Atlanta. We we've been hearing about Travis Hunter for multiple years. He was a top recruit in the nation just two cycles ago. Uh, Obviously he was committed to Florida state for a really long time. Ultimately flipped to Jackson state where Deion Sanders was. So I've seen, we've seen Travis Hunter and him be the best player in the state of Georgia and be the number one recruit. So he's was a surprise to the nation. Maybe that wasn't really following now. That was one of the best efforts you're ever going <laughs> to see in an individual uh, game. More than 100 yards receiving. Had to get double-digit catches or close to it. That one interception near the goal line. And I recommend that if you go to Joe Klatt's episode or his podcast. I don't know what his podcast is called, but I saw a clip from there. and He did a very good job of breaking down that interception that was a big turning point uh, in the contest where Hunter was playing uh, man-to-man and left his man in the middle of the field and broke to the sideline to the corner of the uh, end zone to make the interception because that TCU player was wide open <laughs> for the touchdown. Uh, but Hunter made that break and made that adjustment mid-play and was able to get the interception. One of the better individual efforts you know, you're know you ever going to see from a defensive back. And is he in the Heisman running? Of course he is. Uh, Shadur uh, Sanders, He's in the running as well. I don't get into the Heisman hype, but those guys are going to be very special this season. You can already tell. Uh, how many more wins do the, Bronco- the Broncos the Buffalos have in them? I mean, they have Nebraska. They're hosting them next, this upcoming week. I, I think the letdown factor can be very significant. But Nebraska, they've just lost at Minnesota. I know they got Matt Rule the new head coach, but the Cornhuskers are going through their own transitions. They'll prob- I think Colorado has to be a favorite in that one. They have Colorado State the next week, and I think they should be the winners. They should be the favorites in that. The rest of the conference schedule, I know they have USC and Oregon to start off the Pac-12 play. They probably won't win either one of those games, but is bowl eligibility a possibility? I mean, six wins is a lot to ask of them. I I respect what they're doing now. I will say this. you Give Sanders this recruiting cycle that he's having now, and not even a recruiting cycle. When I say recruiting cycle, I mean another year to get into the transfer portal because that's another thing we've not seen really before in the history of college football. I don't think I've ever seen a roster change with 70-plus new players in one off season, I mean, they have Colorado. I think has eighty plus scholarship players. You know, eighty plus players last year. They only have ten returning players from last. I think it's ten or eleven, give or take a player or two. Only ten returning players from last season, and the entire roster. I mean, that is unheard of. We've seen large graduating classes, and maybe you bring in between transfers and freshman recruits, 20, 30 players, maybe. If you really have a big rebuild, maybe 40 plus because players leave from the previous regime and things like that. When you start in the 70s, that is not, that's unheard of. I don't think I've ever heard that large amount of players. And for a marquee program, you know, like Colorado, in a major conference like the Pac-12, you know. And by the way, Colorado uh, and uh, Nebraska—no, not—I mean Colorado and Utah going into the Big 12 uh, next year is going to be pretty significant as well, and that does help Sanders because that really helps his recruiting base in the Midwest, including Texas. But as far, but but you know, and I have to stop thinking like that. As far as a guy like Sanders, and think okay, well, he's born and raised in Florida, played at Florida State, so obviously he has roots in Florida. He played for the Falcons. His name is revered here in the state of Georgia. Yada, yada, yada. He's a national recruiter. If there's a player in Alaska (laughs) that can ball, he's going to get them. Or in upstate New York or in Bangor, Maine. It doesn't matter. They're all going to come to him because it's a lot smaller pool. I mean, the the world is a lot smaller. And he is going to recruit and get his behind. And he's going to have... I would say, as far as skill positions, outside of the offensive and defensive line, when I say skill positions, I do include linebacker, defensive back. I mean, if you're a defensive back, you want to play for arguably the greatest defensive back in the history of the sport. I mean, that's an obvious deal. And then you see all the offense and Travis Hunter being able to play both ways. There's so many multiple position guys that are limited by their coaches. He's going to let you play. Hey, If you want to be a running back slash linebacker, why not? If you want to return kicks and play defensive back like he did, you're gonna definitely. He's gonna allow you to do that. So I don't think he's gonna struggle ever uh, getting skill players. It's gonna be the line of scrimmage, and that's where the separation is with a lot of these teams. The reasons that Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan. Those type of teams, I was going to say Clemson, but they got their own issues. (laughs) Uh, But the reason those teams do so well, so consistently over the past five to 10 years is line play. They all have top quarterbacks. They have special receivers. They find the running backs. They're going to find some solid linebackers, some good DBs, and you see them all over on Sundays playing in the NFL for those respective programs. But the key is the line of scrimmage, the offensive line and the defensive line. Because if you have those, it's not even just to stop the run or to run the ball. Yes, that's part of it. But if you cannot, because there's so much passing now, if you cannot get a pass rush, you're going to give up a lot of passing yards. You're going to give up a lot of points. If you can't protect your quarterback, you're going to struggle to throw the ball. You're going to be limited with your points. So those are the biggest factors. That's the biggest factor in college. Really in, in all of football, especially college football, is the line of scrimmage. And if Colorado can find a way to get some some big boys on both lines of scrimmage, they can contend for a conference championship within the next two, three years especially in the Big 12. Because you got to figure the two best teams traditionally in the Big 12 consistently, I know Oklahoma had an off year last year, has been Texas and Oklahoma. They're heading to the SEC. And look, TCU has had a nice run. We've seen Texas Tech and Baylor, and they've had some solid teams in the past. Oklahoma State, respect to those teams. But that is a wide open conference uh, that they're stepping into. And they have potential to win that conference or be competitors consistently in the the future Big 12. As far as this year in the Pac-12, it's going to be tough because you have – USC is a national title contender. They're they're legit. They can – when you have Caleb Williams at quarterback and they have that talent in Lincoln Riley, I don't know if they're going to win a national championship, but they're going to be in contention for one. Washington is up there, their top ten team. Quietly, thats a really good squad. Oregon is strong. Oregon State, with the with a transfer from from Clemson, they can be a team that could be in the top fifteen, top twenty this year. So you add all of that up. Utah—I wish we can't forget about Willingham and Utah. They're going to be right there in contention, defending conference champions in the Pac-12. I'm saying all that, to, and Colorado has to play all of these teams. So that's where the bowl eligibility I think if they get that he's the national coach of the year to get all that turnover and have a squad that can reach that level he is yeah, I said he is coach of the year if he can achieve that you know so but still seeing that was a really good moment I think our college football you, you want to see some different stuff and that's another theme that uh, will kind of end on with the college football talk I literally can predict probably the top four teams in the playoffs uh, as far as what we're going to see. Georgia's probably going to be in there, Alabama. Uh, they'll play each other in the SEC championship game. And whoever wins will have the one seed. Whoever loses may have the two or three seed in the, the playoffs. Then you have either Ohio State or Michigan. Whoever wins that game will probably be in the playoffs. There'll be a wild card fourth team in there as far as the, the playoffs go, as far as the top four seats. USC, Texas, maybe ACC winner, Florida State. Maybe they make that jump this year, big win over LSU uh, this week. But we're seeing it's just the the, the same teams consistently. And we want to see some different stuff. I, I like seeing TCU last year make it to the championship game. You know, that's something different. If Colorado can make a run, I'm all for that. You know, just because ultimately, ultimately, yes, we know the top two, three teams, who they're going to be, but college football has become... I'm in the southeast, a middle of of Georgia country. So obviously Georgia, the two-time defending national champion. People love it here. It's a lot of attention, a lot of Bulldog fans. I run to them all the time. So they're loving you living to get up. And they deserve it. They've earned, the fans have earned the right to crow and be happy with the team and where it is right now. But on a national scale, it is monotonous. I go back to my New Yorker days as a New Yorker. Uh, and if I was still living in New York and seeing Georgia win all the time, it's like, eh, I don't like that. But it'd be cool if there was a team from the Northeast that can make a run or a team from the West Coast or, you know, the, like you just want some balance. With what you're seeing, and that isn't happening as much as it should. So if Colorado can make a run, that's awesome. If Texas can make his presence felt, I'm all for that. Uh, you know, just to see some different teams in the running. Uh, you know, so yeah, the college football we'll be following it throughout the entire year, doing previews and recaps, and uh, you'll be looking. I'll be looking forward to presenting that to you. Uh, Atlanta United, they're in an international break right now. Uh, we will have a lot more content with them their next few, week or two. Uh, their next matchup will be at home against Inter Miami, in MLS play, and Lionel Messi, who has taken the world by storm. <laughs> it was wild watching that LA uh, the uh, LAFC contest uh, and Miami play a few days ago, and seeing all the celebrities in the stands and seeing Miami, who won the League Cup, in a competition for the U.S. Cup. Uh, they, they're just the team that. Has gone from literally the worst team in MLS to winning cups, and still not in the playoffs yet. They still have a lot to do, but you got to figure if they get in the playoffs, they might be one of the favorites to win the MLS Cup. Which is a pretty wild turnaround. But when you have uh, Messi along with Busquets and obviously uh, Gonzalo Pineda, the uh, the manager who we're very familiar with here in Atlanta, former. Head man for Atlanta United, won the MLS Cup with the the Five Stripes. You have his his veteran presence at head coach or manager. It's pretty wild to see the what Inter-Miami has been doing. Uh, but yeah, but Atlanta United, as far as their placement, they're in the postseason picture right now. But still a few more matches to go. And yeah, just keep following us on the site for some pressers and interviews and recaps and all of that uh, good stuff. we'll conclude today's show. Thanks for listening and watching us uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, Make sure that you go to our platforms. Social media, we'll start there. Twitter and Instagram under Sports Inquirer, all one word. And then Facebook under the Sports Inquirer. And finally, subscribe to us on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Chainmail, uh, (laughs) radio. I don't know. Just find us however you can. Just Just search the Sports Inquirer. And you'll find us uh, where you need to. Until next time, good fight and good night.